I have to confess something that uh, may get me in trouble in some quarters, but every time that announcement is made and every time I see it in the bulletin that the Aggies are coming, I interpret that as some sort of warning. You know, like, the British are coming. We all need to flee, head for the hills. Um, you, you might interpret that differently. But if you have your Bible this morning, you might want to open it up to Genesis chapter 6, where we'll find the text we want to look at together for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 6. Our culture seems to progressively cultivate a climate of victimhood. We increasingly don't want to accept responsibility for our own actions, and we want to blame our problems on others, whoever they may be. So, you know, if I get in financial trouble, that's not my fault. It's because of easy credit. The government needs to do something to bail me out. Or if I get lung cancer from smoking, well, that wasn't my fault. That's the cigarette companies, and they need to pay up. Or if I go into a rage, and I grab a gun, and I go and shoot a bunch of people, that's not my fault. It's my genes. I can't help it. It's in my bloodline. I didn't have any choice. We become experts at blaming others as a society. And lest we point the finger out at the world, that happens even in the church, doesn't it? I start to drift away, I start to fall away, and I say, well, you know, that's not my fault. It's those people at church. That church isn't friendly. Or maybe it's the opposite. Well, they're, they're just too much up in my business. They're trying to check up on me all the time. Or they don't have enough programs. They don't cater to the needs of my family. Or maybe it's the preacher. You know that preacher. His sermons are so dry and so boring. He never tells any stories that help us to make application. Or, you know, he tells too many stories. I wish he would just stick to the Bible and not get up there and be a stand-up comedian. Or it's the elders, or it's the deacons, or it's the ladies' Bible class, or it's the song leader. On and on and on we could go with this. People blame heredity. They blame environment. They blame prejudice, poverty, abuse, gender, class, economics, whatever it may be. Anything else they can think of. For their problems. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not denying that any of those factors exist. Every one of us here this morning has been molded and shaped and influenced by certain factors in our lives that were out of our control. And some of us naturally had a harder lot in life than others. But see, the question isn't the existence of those things. Those things are all real. The question is how we respond to those factors. Whether or not we allow them to influence us or shape us. How we allow them to affect us. Because ultimately, we, each of us, are all responsible for the choices that we make. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. God's going to hold us responsible for the choices that we make. 
I read a story that illustrates this well. It was about two twin sisters who had an alcoholic mother. And one of them grew up to be an alcoholic herself, and the other one was a teetotaler. She never touched a drop of the stuff in her life. And I asked them why, and the alcoholic one said, well, what do you expect? My mother was an alcoholic. And the other one said, what do you expect? My mother was an alcoholic. Exact same genes, exact same environmental factors, but they made completely different choices. See, the choice in life is ours. If you're a plant, you don't get a choice. If you're a tomato seed, they plant you in the ground, they water you, and you grow up to be a tomato plant. You didn't have a choice. But as humans, we're created higher than plants and higher than animals. We have free will. We can decide to be good or bad. We can choose whether to obey God or to disobey God. But the point is, we are responsible for the choices that we make. With that in mind, I want us to look again at this familiar story of Noah and the ark found in Genesis chapter 6. And this is more than just a story about a, a man who built a boat and put animals on it that we learned when we were children. And it's more than just a, a battleground for skeptics and believers over whether or not we can trust the Bible. It's fundamentally about man's accountability to his creator, about a human race engrossed in sin, and about a God of judgment, but also of mercy and of grace. So we look in Genesis chapter 6, and the first thing we notice is the absolute wickedness of Noah's day. Verse number 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The message paraphrases that as people thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. It's about as bad as it gets. Verse 11 adds that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. God had created a world that was good, very good, in fact, it says in Genesis. God had created man in his image, pure, holy. And God had placed man in this world of peace and put him to rule over it. But by the time of Noah, wickedness was everywhere. Evil, evil, evil. Everywhere. Of course, basic human nature, unfortunately, hasn't changed too much from Noah's day to now. And it makes me wonder if God ever looks out at his creation now and he thinks those very same things that he thought about it then. The world today is a very evil and a very violent place. And I imagine that God must view this creation a lot the same way, unfortunately. And what we see, the way he viewed it, God saw all that in Noah's day, and he says in verse number 6 that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Several translations say there that it broke his heart. Can you imagine that? God having a broken heart. I said this a couple of weeks ago when we had our class on Sunday morning in Genesis 
I think that those of you who are parents can understand this a lot better than, than I can. You can relate to this. If you've ever watched your son or daughter make bad choices, go in a way that you didn't want them to go, and they wrecked their lives because of it, you know what it's like to have a broken heart because your children decided to do evil, because they decided to disobey their parents. And so God looks at creation and he sees that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Humanity was rotten to the core. And so God said in verse number 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I've made them. I want to remind us again, each of us is accountable before God for the choices that we make. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, again, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I imagine, you look around at the world today, most people think of themselves as good people. Most people don't think they're wicked, that they're evil. And you know, I imagine that most of those in Noah's day didn't think that they were evil, that they were wicked. And that points out to us that society itself can become corrupt and can become distorted. And when we look at our own experience, when we look at history, that shouldn't be surprising to us. Recent research from the Pew Forum indicates that a significant percentage of believers in Islam and a majority in Palestine believe that violence against civilians is justified. And lest we single out Islam, I'm not trying to pick on Muslims, we should remember that the average German supported Adolf Hitler. And lest we pick on non-Americans, we should remember that at the outbreak of the Civil War, the average Southerner didn't have a problem with slavery. And you know what? Northerners were complicit in that too. To these, we could add any number of examples that are maybe less dramatic but are no less notable from our own experience. Look around at the world today and think about anything that stands out, and you can make a long list of values, moral standards that stand opposed to Christian morality. And so sometimes we hear it said, well, Christianity, that, it's so out of touch with the modern world. It's so out of step. It, it doesn't fit with modernity. Well, you know what? That's okay. That's good, even, because I think what we see is that society, culture, can itself be wrong. Often the majority is wrong, and we're not judged by the ever-shifting standards of contemporary culture. We are judged by the standards of God. Those are the ones that we need to be concerned about. Each of us is accountable before God for the decisions that we make. And that's regardless of whether society says something is right or they say it's wrong. The second thing we want to note in this story is that in the midst of all of this wickedness, one man, Noah, remained righteous. Verse number eight, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You read through this story and four times it actually says that Noah did all that God commanded him to do. It's a pretty good thing to have on your resume, isn't it? I did all that God commanded me to do. 
We read in verse number 9, it adds that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So Noah found favor in God's sight. He was a blameless man. He was a righteous man. Noah walked with God. In other words, Noah always felt the presence of God in his life. We look in the New Testament, and Peter adds to that description that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It took Noah more than 100 years to build the ark. And all through that time, each and every step along the way, he was warning people about the flood that was coming. Now, I want to consider that in relation to what we said about the perception of society a few minutes ago. If you'd taken a poll of people in Noah's day, what do you think they would have said about Noah? What do you think their perception of him was? Do you think Noah's a good man or a bad man? Do you think he's wise or do you think he's foolish? I imagine the best answer you might have gotten was that, well, Noah, he's a, he's a character, isn't he? He's certainly eccentric over there building that boat on land and talking about a flood that's coming. Others might have said, he's intolerant. He's a bigot. He thinks that he's the only one that's right and everyone else is wrong. And, of course, I imagine that most people would have said, Noah... That guy's crazy. Can you imagine kids coming home from school when the children are little? This is the putting on the sanctified imagination here. Say, Mom, we're going to go over and, and play at Shem and Ham's house. Oh, no, you're not. You don't go over to that house. Kids would have talked about it. That's old man Noah's place. That guy's nuts. Do you think Noah ever became discouraged? You think Noah ever became disenchanted? Do you think Noah ever was tired of rejection? He wanted to just say, that's it, God. I quit. I've had enough. You finish the ark. I'm out. But Noah didn't quit. And he continued to follow God, no matter what that short-term personal cost was. It reminds me of what Moses would say to the Israelites many years later, Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you and your children may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. So we've seen the wickedness of humanity. We've seen that in the midst of that wickedness, there was one righteous man. Now the last thing we want to notice this morning is a God of justice and a God of love. God is holy. That means not just, as we said in our Bible class this morning, that he's super good, super righteous. It means that he's otherly. He's different from us. And God's just. So that means that he can't put up with unrighteousness forever. So it says in verse number 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What kind of God could do something like that? What kind of God could destroy his creation and only save those beings, those creatures that were brought onto the ark? 
kind of God would do that? I'll tell you what kind of God he is. He's a God whose heart was broken, as we said earlier. A God who loves his children and who's watched them go astray and who's watched the horrible consequences that have resulted from that. And finally, he looks down and he sees that the entire world is headed headlong into wickedness and so he has to act while there's still one righteous family left. He has to act because he's a God of justice. What kind of God is he? I'll tell you what kind of God he is. He's a God who, in spite of that justice, is patient and he's loving. And he sent Noah to warn and to preach to these people. And for 120 years, they had the opportunity to hear that they needed to repent and to turn back to God because otherwise the world was going to be destroyed in a flood. But their hard hearts wouldn't allow it. They didn't listen. And so they chose to continue in their own evil ways. What kind of God is he? He's a God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah received? Look at that guy. He's building a monstrosity. What is this? And talking about a flood that's going to destroy the whole earth? He's a lunatic. The Hebrews writer writing about Noah in that great hall of fame of heroes of faith, says in chapter 11, verse number 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How is your faith this morning? Is it strong enough to keep you going even when it seems that the entire world is stacked against you? Is it strong enough to keep you loyal to God even when it seems like you're swimming upstream in the midst of the rest of the world that's going and doing its own thing and looking at you as if you're different, as if you're crazy? What sort of choices are you making in your life? There may be some here this morning who are thinking to themselves, well, you know, I made some bad choices, but I really couldn't help it. It was the way I was brought up. It's the environment I've been in. I I didn't have a real choice. Or some are maybe thinking, well, you know, I I work out in the world. My workplace is tough, and I'm being pulled down, but I just can't help it. It's just the environment that I'm in. We all have a choice. And what I want to leave with you this morning is that no matter what poor choices, poor decisions you've made, no matter how dark, no matter how deeply you've sunk, there's nothing that you could have done that's so offensive, so evil, so sinful that the blood of the Lamb we sang about a moment ago can't wash you and make you clean from every sin and stain. You can make the choice this morning to change. Don't blame heredity. Don't blame your environment. You can become a new person through the power of Jesus Christ at work in your life. 
but you have to choose to allow God to work on you. So if you're here this morning and you've never made that choice, you're not a Christian, I want to urge you to make the decision today to put your faith, that is your trust in Jesus Christ, to turn to God in repentance, that is to stop going that way you were going and to turn, make the choice to go the other direction, to be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away. Maybe you're here this morning, you already are a Christian. Maybe you've been going one way that you know you ought not to. You need to choose to turn around and go the other. Whatever your need may be this morning, if we can help you in any way, you have the opportunity to make it known now while we stand and sing.